I'm home! Yes, hello everybody and welcome to the Animation Podcast, a weekly podcast about all things animation brought to you by Filmbook. My name is Matt Brunet, but some of you may know me as Animat from my YouTube channel, Electric Dragon 505 home of web series that are all about animation, including Animation Lookback and Animax Reviews. Now, if this is your first time here in the Animation Podcast, well, first may I say, welcome, welcome, glad that you could come, and hopefully you have seen a lot of clips on the internet this week because I will be talking a lot about them. The ones that specifically will show you what's going to be to come in the future. Uh, for example, for, so for starters, I will go and discuss about many of the upcoming animated series that will be airing on Amazon that will be brought to us by DreamWorks Animation Television, including The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Kung Fu Panda Paws of Destiny. Then afterwards, we will be paying tribute to a voice actor, and honestly, an underrated voice actor, Chuck McCann. Then afterwards, we will be discussing about the brand new trailer of The Incredibles 2. Then afterwards, we will be looking at an exclusive clip to a documentary that if you're a Disney fan, you gotta watch this. And then finally, we will end things off with Animat's Pick of the Week. Now, if you want to check out more episodes of the Animation Podcast, then all you have to do is head on down to Filmbook, which is film-book.com, by searching the Animation Podcast. You can also email us at podcast at filmbook.com with the Animation Podcast in the subject line. And for our first story, yes, I will be going into Amazon. Because the funny thing with Amazon is that they actually got something that a lot of people are actually pretty surprised about. They are getting some series from DreamWorks Animation. Now, the shocking thing about that is that when it comes to DreamWorks Animation, they have had some massive success, more so than any other animation studio, when it comes to expanding their horizons and creating TV series. They really found some great big hits and they they found some new profitability like now dreamworks doesn't have to just rely on making animated films they also got uh their giant tv roster and they've got a lot of them on to netflix and some of them are even some of the biggest series on netflix especially with troll hunters they're not all based on their animated films either but it seems that now DreamWorks decided they're going to go expand their horizons and see how things are going to go with Amazon because Amazon also got their uh, Amazon Prime video system and Amazon Prime is starting to be more open to go and bring in some animated series. Uh, I think one of the first ones that they brought in was actually Danger and Eggs and I think they found some success with it so now they're asking for DreamWorks Animation to bring them more. And DreamWorks actually got two major properties that they're going to go and deliver to them. The first is going to be The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yes, probably the most famous property brought to us by the legendary Jay Ward. And now it's coming back in a brand new animated series. And if I may read here through my source onto Deadline, describing you what the... Uh, story is about and by the way i'll try to do my best to do a uh, narrator voice for uh this little description right over here you know the the narrator voice that they always play uh during the rocky and bullwinkle series all right so let me try this out <clears throat> 
The world's best-known flying squirrel and talking moose are back in a serialized comedy about two goofball best friends who routinely find themselves thrust in harrowing situations, but ended up saving the day time and again. As Rocky and Bullwinkle's innocent and silly ambitious to become rock stars or find lost treasure end up dovertailing with, fe with fearless leaders' sinister plans to take over the world. Our heroes are set on a collision course with the notorious su super spies Boris Bardanov and Natasha Fatal. And on top of that, they also revealed the cast of uh, voice actors that are going to be here in um, th that that will be the new voices of uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. So we got a lot of them. Like uh, Piotr Michael is going to be the new voice of Fearless Leader. We got Ben Di uh, Ben Diskin going to be the new voice of Boris. We got Rachel Butera, going to be Natasha. Uh, Brad Norman is going to be Bullwinkle. And of course, probably uh, the most well-known one that people know regarding this new Rocky and Bullwinkle series is going to be Tara Strong. That's going to be the new voice of Rocky. And interestingly enough, Amazon decided to go and release a brand new trailer of this Rocky and Bullwinkle series. So not only that, like we got a lot of major revelations about this brand new series. Not only do we know about the cast, not only do we know what it's about, but now we know what it's going to look like and what the humor is going to be. Now, admittedly, if I do have one big criticism with this trailer that we see and what the series is going to look like, admittedly, it would have to be with the animation. Because my thing with the animation right over here is that I feel like it's very conflicting when it comes to what they're trying to do. Because on one hand, you could tell that they want to try to do something new, that they want to put in a new spin on the classic designs of Rocky and Bullwinkle. But then again, you could see that they're also trying to do the classic J Ward style. Like, they want to incorporate that limited animation onto the series. And for me, honestly, I feel like these two things are not really blending well together. Like, you're seeing the new uh, Flash animation style that's being prominent in there. But also, at the same time, you could see how the animators are trying to capture the old spirit of Rocky and Bullwinkle with the designs and also uh, with some of the animation being very limited. Like sometimes there's no in-betweens. It's like cut from one movement immediately to another extreme movement. And from there, I feel like it would be best if you should try to do either one major thing or another. Like try to sacrifice one in order to go in another. It's either be a lot more serious about trying to capture that J Ward look and try to emulate that style right there. Like try to be more serious on that or try to go full new, like forget what J Ward did and go entirely into your own style. Because technically this is not the first time that DreamWorks decided to take a J Ward property and turn that into an animated series. Uh, they've previously done so with uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, which I think the series is still going on Netflix right now. And the thing with that series is that you could tell that they're not really bothered by what J Ward did. Maybe a little bit, but they're mostly trying to do a brand new style. DreamWorks was really trying to do their own thing with the look of it. And that's what really makes that series stand out is that it has a brand new style that it could call its own while it also pays a little bit homage 
to the classic style that it did in Jay Ward. And that's what I feel like what this Rocky and Bullwinkle Kills series should do. It's either they do something new or they really be more serious about doing something old. But there is one thing I will say, though, about this series in general, about its existence. It's honestly, I'm surprised that it took DreamWorks this long to actually really do something about Rocky and Bullwinkle because they've had the property for a very long time and at the most that they have done like I said before it was with uh, the Peabody and Sherman series and with Peabody and Sherman like they even made a, an animated film back in 2014 which unfortunately that one became a box office bomb and there there really isn't much that they did with Rocky and Bullwinkle I mean I don't know about you guys but Rocky and Bullwinkle is the most popular thing that they have ever done with uh jay ward and i think there was at one point they did a computer animated short uh during around around the same time as uh yeah like around the same time as the peabody and sherman movie and i believe that one was actually directed by gary truesdale but i i don't know whatever happened to it but like it, it kind of like came and went really especially like i said before the peabody and sherman movie was a box office bomb so i guess it kind of turned off DreamWorks Animation from making any more J. Ward properties for movies and stuff like that. And it's probably best to just keep it onto television and just make a TV series out of it and stuff like that. So that wouldn't really surprise me. But yeah, it, it took them a while. But I'm glad that now that they are actually doing something with it and that they are keeping the legacy of Rocky and Bullwinkle alive. It's honestly about time because these are really timeless characters and these are lovable and memorable characters from uh from animation's past it really is like some of the most popular characters that did come out of television animation and especially not only that but uh the fact that this is also keeping june foray's legacy alive i mean may, may she rest her peace but one of the most famous characters that she has ever done is actually with Rocky and on top of that like whenever you would see recent interviews with June Foray and stuff like that you always see that she has this necklace that she would always wear and it's like this golden necklace uh that features Rocky on it so it is one of the most popular and most beloved characters that she would ever play and I I do feel like it truly is an honor for Tara Strong to actually step in and you know like try to try to continue the legacy that June Foray really started by voicing the character of Rocky and also uh, the same can be said with Rachel Butera who is now going to do the voice of uh, Natasha so that's the whole thing with the Rocky and Bullwinkle series the only thing that we do have to see is going to be regarding the humor because that's the one memorable aspect about Rocky and Bullwinkle it's not necessarily about the animation or anything like that it's mostly with the writing and the humor that's what really sold Rocky and Bullwinkle. That's what made it such a timeless series. So hopefully, uh, Dreamers can find a way to really emulate that humor and emulate that style of comedy and integrate that into Rocky and Bullwinkle to introduce it in a brand new age. But one thing I will say, though, is that it's not just Rocky and Bullwinkle that they have introduced. There was also another animated series that they revealed. And with that one, it's actually going to be based 
on uh, one of their movies, actually, and that is going to be Kung Fu Panda The Paws of Destiny. And it's actually going to be very interesting with what they're going to do on this one. Check this out. Okay, so going back into my source here onto Deadline, it states that Kung Fu Panda The Paws of Destiny is an adventure series about four panda kids stumbled upon a, uh, a mystical cave beneath Panda Village, accidentally absorbing the chi of ancient and powerful kung fu warriors known as the four constellations they must realize the de they must uh, realize a destiny to save the world from an evil force meanwhile poe finds himself faced with his biggest challenge yet teaching this ragtag band of kids how to wield their newfound powers it hails from emmy winning uh, emmy award winning all hail king julian executive producer mitch watson and elliot owens and Lane Lueras of The Adventures of Puss in Boots. And honestly, with Pause of Destiny, I feel like that is actually very fascinating that they are really dedicated to do an entire spin-off where they're taking a world that we already know and they're focusing more on new original characters. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if they've really done that before because... Like, at the most that they've done, yeah, they've done a lot of uh, spin-off series, like with Penguins of Madagascar or All Hail King Julian, but this is the first time where we see something that is truly original, where we got new characters, but it's set in a familiar setting that we're all familiar with. And with this one, they really are making a continuation of Kung Fu Panda 3. Uh, yeah, of uh, Kung Fu Panda 3. I mean, yeah, sure, there are some familiar characters that are going to be there, especially with Poe coming back. But with Poe, now he is fully going to be in the teacher role. Like, he's going to go and teach these kids in order to use their powers. So now, like, we really have gone full circle with the whole Kung Fu Panda legacy, where we started out with the first movie where he dreams of being a Kung Fu warrior, and then he would grow and eventually become a teacher to teach these kids in order to go and save the world, that he needs to show them how to be, uh, like, Kung Fu warriors in order to save the world and all that kind of stuff, just like what Poe did in the Kung Fu Panda trilogy. So, honestly, looking at this, I, I think, like, we really did, it feels like we are entering upon a new generation of Kung Fu Panda. And this series, I will say, um, I, as a big Kung Fu Panda fan myself, like, I really love the trilogy. They're very well made. I especially, like, my personal favorite of among the three would have to be Kung Fu Panda 2. That thing was just, it's easily one of the best sequels I've seen, or one of the best animated sequels I've seen. And, um, honestly... Like, as a Kung Fu Panda fan myself, I feel like this concept really is quite fascinating. And I am intrigued of what DreamWorks would try to do from there. And how else can they expand upon the Kung Fu Panda world and expanding, expanding upon the Kung Fu Panda universe to see uh, how far they can go beyond what they've already done in the trilogy. So, yeah, with all that said... Uh, this is what they've done for Amazon. So not only are we getting Rocky and Bullwinkle, but we're also getting a new Kung Fu Panda series. Now, as for a release date, well, we don't really know regarding uh, the Paws of Destiny just yet. But they did reveal the release date for the Rocky and Bullwinkle series, but it's only going to be in certain places, though. Uh, apparently, Amazon is going to be releasing the Rocky and Bullwinkle series on May 11th for America, the UK, Germany, India, and Japan. 
The rest, well, honestly, uh, I don't know. Well, sadly, I am Canadian, so I can't be watching this. I don't know if I can. <laughs> Moving on to our next story right over here. Sadly, we'll go into a little bit of a somber tone because uh, recently there was someone who is very respected in the animation world who has sadly passed away. And I'm just going to say right now, after reading the stuff that he has done, this man is truly an underrated voice actor. And I think it should be time that we should highlight this man's career. Uh, and who I'm talking about, of course, is going to be Chuck McCann. Chuck McCann has sadly passed away this week at the age of 83 years old. Now, the thing with Chuck McCann is that he has done a lot of acting roles within television and movies. And uh, some of the things that he has been credited to go and work on uh, is that he would go and make appearances on TV shows, including uh, Mad About You, Boston Legal, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Saint Elsewhere, and many other stuff. And even in movies, he would go and appear in films such as The Projectionist, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, uh, Herbie Rides Again, and Mel Brooks's Robin Hood Men in Tights. However, uh, when it comes to Chuck McCann, he is actually very well known to be a voice actor, providing the voice of many different characters, and surprisingly enough, a lot of characters that you guys might actually be familiar with. The one voice that a lot of people credit him the most is actually being the voice of Duckworth, uh, Scrooge's butler, in DuckTales. Uh, he also did a lot of other voices in very popular animated series as well. He was the voice of the Amoeba Boys in the Powerpuff Girls. He was the voice of Moe in Adventure Time. And he appeared in a whole bunch of other animated series such as The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, The Garfield Show, Garfield and Friends, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, and so much more. But it's not just in animated series and uh, a whole bunch of cartoon projects in which Chuck McCann also provided his voice. Uh, there are some other stuff as well that he would actually be recognized as. Uh, Chuck McCann is also credited to be the original voice of Sonny the Cuckoo Bird, who is the mascot of Cocoa Puffs. And this is the man who first said the lines, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And also, on top of that, uh, he also provided the voice of the Dreamfinder in the beloved Disney attraction at Epcot, Journey into Imagination. And one of the reasons that I would say that Chuck McCann is an unsung hero of uh, voice acting is mainly because when you look at the legacy that he has done, it, it really is something that is truly admirable, but somehow... The name Chuck McCann is not a popular name. It's not something that people are really familiar with. I mean, when you hear around social media that this man passed away, like when you first hear that, oh, sadly, Chuck McCann has passed away, like you would pass that on social media and you would think like, oh man, what a shame. That's too bad. But then when you look at what he has done, that's when all the when all the bells would be activated. And when you look into what he has done, it really is shocking. Because for some people, they would be surprised that he would actually be the voice of characters that they immediately remember. Like, there are some people, they would be like, what? This guy did the voice of Duckworth? Wait, this guy is the Amoeba Boys? This guy is Moe? 
oh man and then suddenly from there they realize oh no it really does suck and i'm not gonna lie this happened to me as well like i saw it like passing around social media that chuck mccann has passed away and yeah like i i did feel a little bit sad it's like oh man what a shame but then suddenly i saw an, it, it was an article on inside the magic where i saw that they actually credited him as the original voice of the Dreamfinder in Journey into Imagination. And that's when it really caught my attention. That's when I was there. I was like, wait, what? That's him? He's the Dreamfinder? Aw, oh, man, dude. And he's gone now? That sucks. Because they're really, because the thing with Chuck McCann is that he did a voice that I can guarantee you that you really did have a connection with. And for me, if you guys are familiar with some of the videos that I've done, then you probably know that I am a huge fan of the original Journey into Imagination ride. I love characters such as Dreamfinder and Figment, and also I love the first comic, uh, the, the Disney Kingdoms comic Figment. Like, that one was amazing. I also read the second one as well. That one was okay, but it was kind of like, uh, it reminded me a lot more of Tomorrowland, like the 2015 Brad Bird movie. But yeah, uh, the first comic though, I have to say, it was an absolute masterpiece. And uh, the, the ride, it's one of the best Disney, original one of the best original Disney attractions that they have ever done. And I to this day, I do wish that that one day Disney would actually make an original Disney attraction that would have the same level of charm and creativity, something like what they've done with Journey into Imagination. And put it in America, for God's sakes. I mean, Japan and China, they're really lucky with the stuff that they've got, like with, uh, with uh, Sinbad's Voyage and also with uh, Mystic Manor. Like, when, when is the America is gonna actually gonna get that? When is Disney World and Disneyland gonna get a new original thing? <laughs> but um, to go outside of that, with what Chuck McCann has done, no matter what, there will be that one voice that you really do have a, co a connection with. And I'm sure this is one of those cases that everybody has at least a favorite role that they have done, uh, that Chuck McCann has done. Rather it be something from uh, the, rather it be like with the Amoeba Boys or maybe something in Fantastic Four or it could be the Dreamfinder like me or it could be Sonny the Cuckoo Bird or it could be the Amoeba Boys. Uh, did I say Amoeba Boys already? But anyways, um, it really is sad to see him go because honestly, this is a fascinating man that we should really look upon. We should really learn a lot more about who this person is and the legacy that he has given us because he really did have an admirable career and on top of that uh dick van dyke actually went on twitter and even said something about chuck mccann where he actually did help him out a lot uh he actually stated so sad to hear about the passing of chuck mccann we were friends for over 60 years chuck was uh, was a walking encyclopedia of comedy a self-appointed historian of Laurel and Hardy, he taught me how to Stanley, and we perform as that sweet duo. And from there, um, he also provided a little clip of the time that, like, one of his most memorable moments where he collaborated with Chuck McCann. And yeah, it, it really is sad to see him go, but honestly, we should learn more about Chuck McCann, and we should bring him up a lot more. And honestly, I... I uh, it, it's sad to see him go, but 
for me, I just want to say, uh, Mr. McCann, thank you so much for the memorable characters that you have given us over the years. And I will certainly remember many of your voiceover works, the, the times when I really did enjoy it, when you were like the Dream Finder or the Amoeba Boys or your times in Garfield and Friends or even in the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And of course, like with DuckTales, Tailspin, and uh, I believe he was also in the Gummy Bears as well. So honestly, uh, thank you for your time and thank you for your voices. You really are an admirable, uh, an admirable man. And if your name wasn't familiar with people, I'm sure it is now. Now, moving on to our next story. This is something that just came up. This is brand new. And really, it got some people hyped up for it to see what's going to be going on with this. And technically, we have already gotten a few different clips of it. We have already gotten a little teaser trailer. And then we got that little trailer. Not a big trailer, but it is a, a small-sized trailer that we saw during the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. But now, Disney and Pixar decided to go and release a brand new trailer of it. They decided to release a full-blown trailer and with the stuff that I've seen, my god, it's about time that they finally released this one. Yes, Disney and Pixar officially released a new trailer for The Incredibles 2. And this one is more of an official trailer. This is the one that really, this is going to be uh, the trailer that they will prominently present in theaters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is probably the one, even considering the time frame, uh, they could be releasing this just before seeing uh, Avengers Infinity War. So it could be a strong possibility, but we shall see. But in this trailer right over here, this one delivered something that I really wanted to see from the previous trailers and that this actually puts in a lot more emphasis on Helen's part of the movie where we see a lot more superhero work that Helen is going to be doing within the film. And... We do see a little bit more context of what's going to be going on. Uh, not just Helen doing superhero work and all that stuff, but how she became a superhero and how like she ended up getting a new job and where you got the character played by Bob Odenkirk where he really wants to go and try to make superheroes really big again, try to make them popular, try to show that, yeah, you know, they, they still play a big part in our society and when evildoers come then they should go and help them out and stuff like that. And really from there, we really do see a lot of stuff that's going on with Helen's side of the story and what she has to do in order to protect her family, in order to go and, uh, you know, do her side to make some superhero work in order for her family to be safe, in order for them to be happy. And then also at the same time, you do see a little bit on Bob's side as well. Uh, some clips that we've already seen in the previous trailer, like uh, we, we already have the part where uh, Bob is just really pissed off over Dash's homework. And he would say the famous lines that, the famous line that everybody loves, math is math, math is math. And from there, we also see him struggle with taking care of uh, the other kids as well, where Violet is starting to be more angry and she's starting to throw more fits where she's truly becoming a teenager. And of course, we got uh, the troubles with Jack-Jack and all that stuff. 
And from there, we also do see little clips of what's going to be like the big things to come where right at the end, uh, we get introduced to the villain of the movie. But uh, probably the best thing that actually did come out of this trailer is that we actually got the grand return of possibly the most underrated character from The Incredibles, which is Frozone's sassy wife. Because the whole thing would just end off with just Frozone like he's call like uh, he got a call from Mr. Incredible saying that all right let's go do let's go do some superhero work and like we hear Frozone saying all right I'm going to go ASAP and then from the distance we hear his wife go ASAP what do you mean ASAP you better come in you better come back here ASAP so yeah she actually does make a comeback in this as well so Basically, what we are seeing here, again, is pretty much the stuff that we love from the first Incredibles, but they really are adding in more. And I just gotta say that, final freaking Lee, it's about time that this trailer comes in because it shows something that I want to see a lot more of that we didn't get from the previous trailers. And again, that is Helen's side of the story. Because in here, this really does feel like this could be Helen's movie. I mean, of course, we are going to see the side plots regarding uh, Bob and taking care of all the kids and stuff like that. But this one does put in an emphasis on Helen's side and the adventures that she's going to go into and all the crazy things are all the big action that's going to happen from there. That's just what I was waiting for. This is the one thing that I was hoping that The Incredibles 2 can promise us and it could be it should like this trailer is showing us that they are going to deliver that and they will promise that and on top of that they will be promised that Helen will be working for Better Call Saul to go and make superheroes great again and all that kind of stuff so really this is the trailer that I have been waiting for and this is the trailer that I was hoping that Pixar can deliver regarding the Incredibles 2. Not to say that the previous trailers were bad or anything, they were very well done. And of course, they really do make me hyped up for the Incredibles 2, but this one, this is the one thing that is that is saying that, okay, you want these things? Then we're gonna promise you these things, so here you go. So that one, I'm honestly very excited to go and check out. If you haven't seen the trailer yourself, uh, this is definitely something that you gotta see because it really does deliver on the things that they will promise you and right at the end you do get that major stinger and kind of like a cliffhanger of who the villain is going to be so that's going to be pretty fascinating to watch and on top of that uh the day before this trailer was released they also revealed this brand new poster which is really great and you do see overall of what the incredibles 2 is going to be and on top of that like you do see uh, the main villain that's going to be on top and right behind the Incredibles you do see some new set of heroes that are probably going to be joining Helen's adventures where you see how there are more superheroes going around and how they're pretty much living in uh, this world with superheroes and how their stance is and all that kind of stuff so really what this trailer and what the poster has done is that 
it really did deliver on the promises that yes you guys are going to be getting these elements that you love from the first Incredibles but we also have some little surprises we're not going to reveal to you what they are just yet but oh we got some new crazy stuff and that's what really makes it exciting and that's what makes this trailer so awesome I mean it's been such a long time that D like either Disney or Pixar has even released a trailer that would deliver such great promise. This is so fascinating and it really does sell amazingly on what the trailer is going to be. However, interestingly enough, um, it's not just going to be The Incredibles 2 that I want to talk about here, but at the same time, this week, they have also revealed a brand new clip of the animated short that is going to be released before The Incredibles 2, which is called Bow. And from there, it's just a small 30-second clip of the first time that we see uh, the woman, who is the main character of the short, who interacts with, uh, who first interacts with uh, the little dumpling that's coming to life. And in that little clip, we just see the woman, like already, she's hearing baby noises coming out of her lunch basket, and she's freaking out. It's like, what the hell was that? Oh God! What, what, what's that noise? And from there, she sees that her dumpling is suddenly coming to life. That the dumpling is just making baby noises, and it's suddenly growing a nose, and arms, and a leg. And from there, she would pick it up and decided she would claim it as her own. This is going to be her baby. And that's all the clip that it's going to show. And honestly, with that little clip... It is very well animated and it is fascinating to see how they did animate the dumpling and how they're bringing that to life and how it's pretty much growing its arms and legs and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I got a strong feeling that people are gonna cry before The Incredibles 2. Like this is gonna be the one thing that's really going to drain audiences' emotions like just before this movie comes in. But again, uh, I've already discussed about Bao before and how it does seem like a really good fit to put it before The Incredibles 2, considering that you can tell that with this one, even though it does reflect specifically on motherhood and stuff like that, there is a strong theme of family, which is a another thing that The Incredibles 2 has, is that they do have this very strong theme of family going on so it really is uh, a great fit but also you do see a little bit of what the art style is going to look like you do see the theme you see the tone and all that stuff so it is a nice introduction and I think people are really buying it so uh overall it I think uh this this week Pixar really did deliver amazingly with the stuff that they got. They delivered um, an amazing trailer with The Incredibles 2, and they gave us a great first impression with the animated short that's going to be coming out before The Incredibles 2 with Bao. So that's definitely awesome right there. And if you guys are excited as I am to see The Incredibles 2 finally coming back, or to see The Incredibles coming back into theaters, then all you have to do is just wait until June 15th for the movie's release. Okay, so moving on to our next story that we got right over here, we also got another first exclusive clip onto something that I'm sure you guys would probably be highly interested to check out. Now, this is not an animated project, but if you are a Disney fan, then my god, this is a documentary you do not want to miss. 
And what I'm talking about, of course, is going to be Howard. Now, on Deadline, they actually got the first ever clip that they're revealing to the public regarding this documentary, Howard. And for those of you who don't know what it is, uh, Howard is, of course, a documentary that chronicles the life of legendary Academy Award-winning lyricist Howard Ashman. Now, this is going to be created by Don Hahn, which, if you guys may know, uh, he is the legendary Disney producer that has worked on many different Disney films throughout the late, uh, throughout the 80s and the 90s, and even today, he's still producing some big-name Disney movies. And from there, Don Hahn is also known to be a documentarian, where he actually created one of my favorite documentaries, which is Waking Sleeping Beauty. And if you're an animation fan or a Disney fan in general, that is another must-watch, because that one is absolutely phenomenal. And it seems like Don Hahn is going to be giving that same treatment to what they did with uh, Waking Sleeping... What he did with Waking... with Well, he and his team did with Waking Sleeping Beauty, and they're applying that to Howard Ashman. And in case you guys don't know who Howard Ashman is, well, this guy, he actually really played a big role when it comes to helping bring... Uh, when it comes to helping Disney to put them back on their feet and made them fully enter upon the Disney Renaissance. This is the guy uh, who collaborated with Howard Ashman in order to create the songs for movies such as The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and some for Aladdin, and I think he also did a few for Oliver and Company as well. And on top of that, uh, this is the guy who is also credited to turn uh, a Roger Corman film, Little Shop of Horrors, and turn that into a musical. So he really is a major player. Howard Ashman is a very well-known and highly respected lyricist. But you guys might be wondering, so what's the point of all this? Uh, why is it that I'm talking about it right now? Well, apparently, like I said before, uh, Deadline actually released an exclusive clip of what's going to be in Howard to give us a little bit of an idea of what's going to be going on. And it's a two-minute clip where you see the behind-the-scenes of the making of the song Be Our Guest, where you see Jerry Orbach and Angela Lansbury, where they're on the set, and you see the orchestra that's playing... And they're, they're, both of them are pretty much singing Be Our Guest. And you you do see like clips in between with Howard Ashman talking to the cast and crew of Beauty and the Beast and how he wants to execute all the songs and stuff like that. And you see kind of his work ethics, how he works with the people, and how he brings his songs to life. Along with some commentary from people like uh, Gary Truesdale, one of the directors of Beauty and the Beast, discussing how... Howard Ashman would work and honestly it is very fascinating to check out and honestly with this clip that we saw right over here it is a nice little behind the scenes look on uh, Beauty and the Beast and see how they would bring like the legendary song uh, Be Our Guest yeah drink how many times I said legendary in this little segment alone <laughs> I just realized it's like I'm repeating words a lot <laughs> okay but anyways uh, going back into it yeah, you do see, like, the, like this whole thing is just a big behind-the-scenes on Be Our Guest. And technically, you could easily just take this, and you could put it as a bonus feature on Beauty and the Beast. 
where they would show you the behind the scenes of the making of this song in particular. And it is quite fascinating to check out. And uh, really, the like it, it does give you an idea of the tone that they are trying to set where they would discuss about Howard Ashman. And this one right over here, it really just highlights about how he would work, how he would bring a song like Be Our Guest to life. But the one thing I will say that I am worried about Howard is that I know it's going to be a great documentary. I definitely do trust Don Hahn that he can make something amazing out of it. But the one thing I am worried though is that I know for a fact this thing is going to make me cry. Because in the documentary Waking Sleeping Beauty, in that one, like my god, the segments when they talk about Howard Ashman and especially... Like, right when Beauty and the Beast was close to being released, and when he passed away at, uh, oh, what was it, St., well, I, I want to say St. Jude Hospital, but it was in a pop, it, it was, uh, in, in a Jewish hospital in New York, and it was, it was sad as hell. Like, sadly, Howard Ashman died very young at the age of 39 by AIDS, and from there, it, you know, they really set the tone to be such a tragic thing and there was a bit there was a, a bonus feature in the dot in the dvd that i have that goes into more about howard ashman and it goes even deeper like now it, it just becomes extremely sad like seriously it like it was a true tearjerker and they even show a lot of people just crying during that moment so I can imagine that Don Hahn is really going to amp that up into 11 to really highlight that moment onto here. So yeah, this is definitely going to be a sad documentary, but I think it's definitely going to be an important documentary to really highlight the works of Howard Ashman and the legacy that he has brought with the many songs that he has done both in and out of Disney. It's going to be a, a really fascinating look with how they're going to do it and i really do highly recommend that you guys go to deadline and just check out what they have just check out the little clip for yourself of the uh, be our guest clip or just go to youtube like it is on youtube and it says uh it's just write down howard be our guest clip and just find the one that was uploaded by deadline and they'll put it up right there okay so with all that said and done uh, oh, actually, there is one more quote that I just want to uh, just want to read down because uh, the big thing is that, believe it or not, this documentary is actually going to be released very soon, and it's actually going to make its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival uh, coming this month. Actually, holy crap, we we have entered upon April, so yeah, it's going to be in uh, a few weeks actually. And uh, let me just read you uh, read you a quote that Don Hahn said to Deadline. So. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Just want to clear my throat and my stomach a little bit. Okay, here we go. Uh, there's no better home for the world premiere of Howard's story than the Tribeca Film Festival, which celebrates everything he loved about film and music and New York. We're both. Uh, we've been honored to share this legend's story and showcase his enormous legacy. A privilege second only to having known and worked with this special man whose life touched so many. This clip is just one of the special moments we can't wait for audiences to discover in our film. So I just want to say right now, if you guys are excited to check out this documentary on Howard Ashman, well then, if you are lucky to go into the Tribeca Film Festival, then it will make its world premiere on April 22nd.
And so finally, we shall now go and end this off with Animat's Pick of the Week. Now for this week, I decided, you know what, let's go ahead and talk about something that I'm sure we've all had a complex relationship with, and that is The Simpsons. And maybe it's not with literally all of you, but I'm sure that with some of you watching, you've probably had a moment where you've had a little phase where you were obsessed with The Simpsons. You love watching every single episode. You love knowing all the residents of Springfield. You love waiting every Sunday for Fox to release the brand new episode and all that kind of stuff. Like there was a time when you would consider yourself a major fan of The Simpsons. I know I've had my period, maybe you've had your period too, or maybe you're still on your period on that. So that is something that people can relate to, is a moment where we were once really big on enjoying The Simpsons. And it is actually very interesting to mention about it right now because as you've probably heard, there was actually a recent controversy that's going on that there are some people that have some strong emotions about this particular subject. And that is actually regarding Apuna Hasapina Petalon. Or I think that's how you say your... That, that, that's how you say your name. Say, say his name, right? That's how you say it? Apuna Hasapina Petalon. Okay, yeah, I got it. I got it right. So yeah, as you guys know, the owner of the Quickie Mart recently got into major controversy about how some people view that he might be considered a negative stereotype towards Indian people or people of Indian or South Asian descent. People feel that it is a little bit insulting in a way. And this was really highlighted in a recent documentary that came out a few months ago, which is called The Problem with Apu, which, which was actually created by filmmaker and comedian Hari Kondabolu. So he pretty much decided to create that documentary and from there to go and discuss about the character of, ha of uh, Apu and how nowadays he is viewed a little bit as a, a stereotype, just walking around being a goofball, making Indian people look bad and all that kind of stuff. However, uh, just recently, it looks like The Simpsons finally addressed the issue of the problem with Apu. So pretty much they finally called out about the situation regarding Apu and what they could do with it. So apparently, uh, I'm just going to go and read you my little source here through, uh, through Deadline. It states, On Sunday's episode, Marge Simpson reads a book to daughter Lisa, prompting Lisa to remark the cisgender girl heroine is already evolved. Uh, doesn't really have, oh, uh, yeah, doesn't really have an emotional journey to complete, leaving the book with no point. In which Marge would say, well, what am I supposed to do? And Lisa would respond by saying, it's hard to say. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? And when she said that final line, she would look onto the side and there was actually a picture of Apu. And not only that, it was actually signed by Apu and it would have a, a little description saying, don't have a cow. Or actually, Apu signed it by saying, don't have a cow, Apu. And which Marge would respond by saying, well, some things will be dealt with at a later date. And Lisa would say, if at all. 
And from there, I would just like to point out and uh, would like to apologize to everyone if I did a really crappy Marge impression. <laughs> I practiced a little bit, I swear. I thought I could nail it, but no, nah, it didn't come out right this time. I don't know why. I'll try better next time. <laughs> I, I guess Marge would say it best. Some things will be dealt with at a later date. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Anyways, um, with all that said... Now, Hari Kondabalu, of course, he was contacted by many journalists over the fact that The Simpsons actually did address the issue. But, Hari was not pleased. He was pissed. He went on a Twitter tirade, going around making angry tweets, criticizing every little aspect about that little response. And he, would, and he would go and say, uh, to start things off, to the journalists who have asked me for a public statement about the last night, about last night's episode of The Simpsons, I just want to say congratulations to The Simpsons for being talked about and being seen as relevant again. And from there, like I said before, he would just go and point out all the things that he has an issue with uh, what Lisa said and even some of the small things like uh, how the picture of Apu would say, don't have a cow. Get it? Because he's Hindu. And Hindus love cows more so than their wives. But I think um, the big thing that they really, that uh, what Hari actually stated would actually be his last tweet regarding this whole thing. And uh, he actually said, in the problem with Apu, I used Apu and the Simpsons as an entry point into a larger conversation about the representation of marginalized groups and why this is important. The Simpsons' response tonight is not a jab at me, but what many of us consider progress. And that's overall the feeling that he has, is that from there, he feels like the way the Simpsons responded is that they might as well just say that they don't care. That really... That well, they look at the issue about the Simpsons, they look at the issue with Apu, and they just really don't give a crap. They look at the issue and they're just going, eh. And ironically, there are even some people that would actually say that the Simpsons has actually become Principal Skinner when he be when he would say the famous line, Am I out of touch? No, it is the children that are wrong. And when I see this hang, uh, when I see this going around, I do understand why Hari is actually pissed off about this. I do understand the anger that Hari has, where the Simpsons would just tell him that they don't care what he thinks, they don't care if they have an issue at all. Because if you don't understand where Hari is going with this, or how Hari is currently feeling about how the Simpsons address this situation. Just, uh, imagine this. Okay, so imagine if you have a broken toilet. And that toilet is, like, really busted. It is impossible to flush. It is leaking. And, like, even, like, the old pee and the crap is starting to come out of it. Like, really, it's a very problem. It's a toilet that's not only not working, but it's causing a lot of problems. And it's starting to flood a little bit in the bathroom. So, in order to solve this problem... You gotta go and call a plumber. You gotta call the plumber in order to go and fix this situation immediately. Because there really is a big issue with that toilet. So the plumber comes in, 
And the plumber checks out in the bathroom. He sees the leak is going around everywhere. He sees that, you know, there, there's some toilet water. There's a bit of pee. There's a bit of poo going around, all, like, all around the bathroom. And the toilet, like, it's busted up. It can't flush. And it's leaking. And all that kind of stuff. Now, the, the plumber just looks around. He looks at you and he would say, Yeah, you know what? Uh, eh, what can you do? I mean, I guess some things will be dealt with at a later date, if, uh, at all. And from there, he would walk out, leaving you with a busted toilet, nothing is solved, and you have to be left there cleaning up all the crap. That's basically the current situation that Hari is feeling, because the response that The Simpsons did, yeah, it really is kind of a jab at what they're fighting for, and what they're trying to address like the simpson is not the simpsons is not owning up to what they're currently doing wrong and why some of the things that they're doing doesn't seem okay in a way um funny enough it, it's a lot like the, the 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 last story that i talked about in uh, my previous episode of the animation podcast with channel awesome where they responded to the whole controversy with Oh, I regret that you feel that way. And from there, like, the controversy really exploded and Channel Awesome lost a whole bunch of subscribers and contributors. Uh, which reminds me, I want to know a little bit of an update. Uh, I heard they actually got a brand new response, so let me just check on uh, what, what's going on. Did they make a new response? Just want to see how things are going there. Holy crap! Tabarnak! Oh boy! Well, uh, <laughs> well, I guess it was fun while it lasted with Channel Awesome, right? <laughs> okay. Well, um, okay. Anyways, um, let's forget about Channel Awesome. At this point, they might be gone soon if they continue like this. But anyways, uh, yeah, going back into the Simpsons scenario, yeah, I do understand why Hari is actually mad about this situation and why people would actually would actually be mad about the Simpsons because they're not owning up to what they're currently doing wrong. That they're not really advancing the character of Apu to become more than just a negative stereotype and how people are viewing Apu as a negative stereotype that has real-world consequences to people with South Asian descent. So, yeah, like, it is a bit... So, yeah, it, it, honestly, I do see this as a bit of a dick move for The Simpsons to actually do... To actually go and respond in that way to basically say that they regret that Hari felt that way. But I will say, though, that, of course, while there are a lot of people that are angry at The Simpsons, there are, of course, plenty of others that would make counter-arguments about this whole case right here. That would make counter-arguments against the problems with Apu. And there are some videos out there. There are some discussions about people saying that really the whole thing with pro with the problem with Apu is a little bit ridiculous. And it does seem a bit far-fetched to go and attack like a freaking cartoon character on a TV show like The Simpsons in order to fight for um, uh, representation of Indian people. And there are some of them that honestly, I don't feel like their opinions matter that 
Um, I wouldn't value their opinions because there are a lot of people out there that they would say like, the, the SJWs, they have triggered the thing. The SJ, no, wait, uh, let me restart that. Uh, SJWs, Fudge Nabbit, that's not the right thing I want to say. The Simpsons triggered SJWs. You know, like you got some people who would react that way. But again, I don't value their opinion. Their, uh, honestly, their thoughts are kind of worthless in that scenario. Because for me, I feel like those kinds of people right there, they're not doing that to defend the Simpsons. They're not doing that to defend Apu or anything like that. Those people just want to find an additional excuse to go and attack people that they would go and label as social justice warriors. So really, they're just doing it to attack others. And I wouldn't be surprised if those people doing that, they haven't seen an episode of The Simpsons in years. However, I have actually found an intellectual counter-response uh, counter to the whole problem with Apu thing. And I actually found this on an article on CBC, which was done by uh, Rajiv, Sat uh, Sat yeah, Rajiv Satyal, who is actually a good friend of Hari Kondabalu. Like, he actually did go and do some tours with him, and, um, like, he knows uh, Hari personally, and he offered a bit of uh, an argument, a critique, about the problem with Apu. And it is honestly a very fascinating read. And apparently uh, the article on the CBC actually even states that there is a longer version on uh, Medium. So this is something that I highly recommend that you check it out. And the arguments that he would say that um, like the big thing that he thinks about the whole documentary about the problem with Apu is that he says that here's what I think. Uh, this documentary is well done, and it is driven by a noble pursuit of truth and justice. But it puts forth an argument that will simply make a lot of people roll their eyes. When that happens, we actually take the progressive movement backwards. And from there, he would discuss about many different arguments about uh, not only the things that he would say in the documentary itself, but also related to the character of Apu within The Simpsons. Uh, he would start off by talking about the aspect of, like, the Indian accent seems a little bit racist, but he would counter that by saying that, well, the, the Indian accent is actually very funny for a lot of people, not just for white people, but also for Indian people. Like, when he would go on tours and do stand-up bits in India, they would love it when they would do the Indian accent. So that's one major thing that they would go and discuss. Like he would say, like the Indian accent sounds funny in the same way the German accent sounds evil. It just does. It's like when smart people finally admit he finds farts funny. There's no way a comedian doesn't understand this concept. And from there, he would also continue and make a big argument. And I think this is really the uh, strongest thing that he actually said to counter the problem with Arpu is actually the fact that in order to go and try to do something better for people of uh, South Asian descent is that you need to bring in more people, you need to bring in more Indians to be prominent stars and to show that they are regular people like white people and, and African Americans and Asians and all, all those guys. Like, they, they would show, like, that they are normal people and that they're not like Apu. And he actually stated, uh, If the thrust of an argument is that there were no prominent Indians in America 
to counter Apu's depiction at the time he was conceived, well, take a look at all the prominent South Asian voices included in this documentary. You got Aziz, uh, Aziz Ansari, Russell Peters, Azif Mandiv, uh, Sakina Jaffe, and more. Indians are killing it in Hollywood. The very fact that we have so many famous and successful Indians to rebuke the whole concept of Apu proves the point that the way to victory is to drown him out. If the best revenge is living well, as the expression goes, then we're clearly winning. And really, that's the one thing that he's trying to say is to go and if you want to try to counter the depiction that Apu is trying to show in The Simpsons, then try to celebrate uh, the Indian actors and actresses and the Indian filmmakers, of course, that are really big in Hollywood and are having very successful careers. To go and sell, you know, like bring out more positive to drain out the negative. And uh, continuing on, he also made an argument that uh, one thing that is not really right for them to go and do is actually to go and target Hank Azaria. Because, yeah, at, at first glance, it does seem like a very bad idea for a white person to go and do the Indian accent. It seems a little bit racist in a way. Now, I do understand, but the thing is, with Hank Azaria, is that he is technically the messenger. That if you want to go and attack somebody for the depiction of how Apu is as a stereotype to, uh, to South Asians and stuff like that, then you go after the writers, the people that would craft Apu. Hank Azaria, he's just a messenger. He's just there to deliver the performance of Apu. So it's not necessarily the correct target to go after. And uh, from there, he would also make discussions uh, about how Apu is actually a great character, how there's a lot more to Apu than just being a negative stereotype. And um, he would even say, but here's the other thing. Apu already is a three-dimensional character. Yes, there are cheap shots at his expense and lame lines in his dialogue, but Apu also cracks intelligent jokes, fights against stereotypes, and experiences a journey across the emotional spectrum. And yeah, there are plenty of different moments that I remember even when I would watch The Simpsons where there are memorable moments with Apu that is more so than just being an Indian stereotype where you do see a lot more of who Apu is, like in terms of his background, his relationship with uh, Springfield and uh, his relationship with the people in Springfield and all that kind of stuff that they really did play around with Apu. And the article would even end off by saying that Apu might've been one of the few Indian characters on television more than a quarter of a century ago. But as the documentary itself points out, there's now an Indian of, uh, yeah, there's now an Indian on practically every successful contemporary show. That's incredible progress, something of which to rejoice. Let's not play the victim, let's celebrate. So, again, I think the big thing that he's trying, like one of the strongest arguments that uh, Rajiv is trying to say in this is the fact that we should be happy that we have totally evolved from what Apu was back in the early 90s to how uh, how we are now showing that there are plenty of popular Indian stars and there are plenty of people of Indian descent that would be prominently displayed in some of the biggest shows 
that we have seen right now. So overall, I definitely do see both sides of the argument in this situation. Yes, I do understand about how Hari Kumdabalu would be pissed off at how The Simpsons would just toss away the documentary and what he is trying to fight for. And um, yeah, like uh, as uh, Rajiv said, that uh, the documentary itself is driven by a noble pursuit of truth and justice. And it really is a bit of a dick and unprofessional move of uh, The Simpsons to just ignore what they're trying to say instead of admitting their own flaws that they'll see if they can go and improve upon a poo. But then again, I do understand how people would be a bit turned off with the way that Hari would try to approach this situation. That he would be pretty aggressive with the way that he's going after the Simpsons and the portrayal of Apu, making it a bigger situation that maybe it probably is. But I think um, the best way that I can think of in order to conclude all this is that I do have a little bit of a question regarding everything, the whole scenario about what's going on with The Simpsons and Apu and Hari Kondabalu and all that kind of stuff. If there's a, one big question to really go and summarize all this up, why in the fridge are they still airing more episodes of The Simpsons? I mean, the show is almost 30 years old. I mean, can't the thing just let go? Can't we just move on from The Simpsons and all that kind of stuff? Seriously, why in the fridge are they still making more episodes? And with that, that's all that I've got for this week. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Animation Podcast. You can find more of my work at film-book.com. Just search for Metsir Brunet or the Animation Podcast. You can also go ahead and find me on Twitter at Animat505. Now, if you have listened to this podcast on iTunes or any other podcast service, do you mind doing us a little bit of a favor and rate and review this episode? And if you are listening to this uh, on YouTube, then hit that little like button and leave us a little thought on your comments. Uh, oh, and leave us a little comment on your thoughts about the news this week. Tune in next week for the latest episode of the Animation Podcast and all things animation. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, see you later, dudes.